want to get right into our discipleship course this morning. Ask Brother Miller to come, and I'll pass by and pick up the discipleship offering. Amen. So God bless you. God bless Brother Miller. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Always good to be in the house of God. As I always like to say, I'm excited about what God is doing. And I am in great anticipation for what God is going to continue to do. Amen. I have a word that I want to share before we get into our lesson that I believe that God has given me this morning for the church. And I want to share it with you all. I believe God is wanting to encourage his people. It seems that it has been the intent of the enemy to write off Calvary Apostolic Church. To make Calvary Apostolic Church spiritually bankrupt and perhaps a spiritual foreclosure. But I believe that God has given me a specific word to encourage the church this morning. That that is not God's intent. Calvary Apostolic Church is not closed and God's work is not done. And I believe God wants his people to know that. Far too long we have accepted what the enemy has been trying to impose on the body of Christ here. God is saying you've sat by long enough and have watched what the enemy has been trying to do to put out the flame in the body of Christ. But he wants you to know that now is the time to rise up and get to work. Because God's work is not done here in Calvary Apostolic Church. We need to just seek God for a moment. Just lift your hearts up to the Lord. Come on, somebody. You've got to lift your hearts up to Him. God is wanting to do something mighty. Have your way, Jesus, in this place. God, we want the power of your spirit to move, oh God. Let your will be done, Lord Jesus. Uh, It's not about us, God, but I know that you have a work for us to do. Now, prayer today, oh God, is that you would empower your people, revive and revitalize every soul, oh God. Ah! Let the power of your spirit rise up in your people. Stir us up, oh God. Let your perfect will be done. Ah, Hallelujah, Jesus. Can we clap hands to the Lord today? (laughs) 
glory to the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I believe and hope I've been in order, but I believe that God gave me this this morning for the body of Christ. And this is not to pump up your emotions, but this is to encourage your soul. God has given us power. And he's given us a work to do. Amen. It doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter what has transpired in your life up until this point. God has a work for you to do. And now is the time to start doing it. The Bible says only what you do for Christ will last. Two questions came to my mind today and one of them was what are you doing? And the second question is how well are you doing it? What are you doing and how well are you doing it? That's a question for you between you and God. But rest assured, you as a member of the body of Christ, we've been talking about this. We've been talking about every member of the body of Christ. You are to be engaged in ministry. The ministry is the work of God. It is the entire work of God. And that includes you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that includes you. All right. Now, some some of y'all ain't believing but whether you believe it or not, that includes you. Amen? All right. All right. Maybe we need to change that and everybody just point to yourself and say that includes me. Sometimes we can defer too much and think everything is for the next person to do. Amen? Everything ain't for the pastor to do. All right. Amen. So we've been talking. We started our new series talking about the power of Christian witnessing. And um, I'm really excited, like I said, about what God is doing. Uh, I'm really glad for what he's doing in my life and the things that he's showing me. And I pray that the things that we're talking about, I know the man of God has been teaching on Wednesday nights, but all these things are for a purpose. And I pray that it's encouraging to your soul is to equip and empower the saints of God to be able to go out and do the work that God is calling us to do. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter seven. Second Corinthians chapter seven will begin with verse nine. All of you visitors, guests, friends, family, God bless you for being in the house of God. So glad that you are here today. Amen. I get excited when I'm able to be around the people of God, worshiping God. I love it. I love it. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11 says, now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a human manner. After your emotions. Maybe after a shameful manner. Feeling bad about getting caught. In the act, he says, you were made sorry after a godly manner, right? 
that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sought after a godly sort, what careful, carefulness is wrought, excuse me, it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So we were talking about repentance as it pertains to being a Christian, because these are things that are necessary to being a Christian. As we talk about what it means to be a Christian, being a Christian is not just a matter of what you profess with your lips, but it involves your life. Well, this is the beginning portion. We talk about faith and we've talked about faith before and how faith is required to even get to the point of believing in God. You have to have faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? Now, repentance is one of those things when you truly believe. The Bible says godly sorrow worketh repentance. So what does that mean? It's more than just saying, I am sorry because I feel sorry for myself. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry because I got caught in something and now it's exposed and, you know, now I feel the shame. No, this is not what this is talking about. When you talk about godly sorrow, God enables you to feel the same way about sin he does. Sin becomes just as repulsive to you as it does to him. This is what godly sorrow. And so you feel compelled to want to turn from sin. That is the difference. It's not just, oh, well, you know, you said, I, you know, I got to say sorry, so I'll check the block and then I'll be good to go. It's not just a matter of a verbal profession or, you know, proclamation that, oh, I'm sorry. And then I really don't mean I'm sorry in my heart. But there's, there's something on the inside that takes place. When God allows you to see sin the way he does, you see how damaging sin can be in your own life. So godly sorrow, because God is not willing that any should perish, right? Which is why he's gone to great lengths to reconcile the world to himself. To the point of giving his own life. Because that's how bad he feels about watching the damage of sin destroy his own creation. So godly sorrow, when you begin to feel that, it's a compelling moment. It's not just a, I'm checking the block and I'm just doing this because somebody said to. But I feel compelled to turn from sin. Now watch this. Not just the sins that I've committed, but whatever is classified as sin in the eyes of God. See, this is an attitude change. When you find somebody that truly repents, it doesn't matter what they're being asked to do at this moment. Because I have a heart of repentance, I'm willing to do it if it means it's going to please God. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. So there's a difference in responding just out of emotion. 
I get a feel good and, you know, the music is playing and somebody sings real good or the, you know, the preacher preached real good and made me feel good. And so, oh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to turn right now. But then when I walk out of here, I don't have because my heart wasn't into it. But godly sorrow, when God allows you to see and feel the same way about sin that he does, that's when true repentance happens. This is important to understand because you get a lot of people that they make that verbal profession and then they wonder why nothing changes. Because you haven't truly turned. What did we read last week? If my people which are called by my name shall do what? Humble themselves, pray, and do what? Turn. So there's an activity happening. And if you're going to truly turn, it has to be something in your heart, not just, amen? So this is important. This is, this is the essence of repentance. This is what takes place. And this is why, you know, it's so important that we, we share with folks, hey, this is what God expects. This is how God feels about sin. This is how God feels about you. Did you know there's a difference the way God feels about you and the way God feels about sin? This is what, you know, I wonder how much of an impact we would really have if we continue to just push that message to folks in the world. There is a difference between how God feels about you and how God feels about sin. God hates sin. Right? Can't stand it. It goes against his nature. The essence of who he is. He's holy, right? God hates sin. He can't stand it. But he loves you. For God so loved the world. That's what people, you know, that's really, I mean, what did Jesus say? The whole law hangs on what? (laughs) All of the New Testament is surrounded by love. And even John, go ahead, he, he goes to finish off and close out. Before the book of Revelation telling you about God's love. God is the epitome of love. That is his very nature. And because he loves us, he continues to try to reach out to us. He's already paved the way, made a way for us to be saved, to be reconciled to him, to be empowered, to have his spirit dwelling within us. I think that's pretty awesome. Because he loves us. And so when folks understand that or really come in contact with that, then you begin to understand, wait a minute. So he loves me. It's not that he hates me. He hates the sin because it's destroying me. When you begin to see that for yourself, you are compelled to want to turn from doing those things. And then the chances of you walking back into it slim to none why because you have come in contact with something god you've allowed me to see sin for what it really is not what it was presented so fornication now starts to look repulsive to you adultery starts looking repulsive to you idolatry gossiping backbiting Hostility, animosity, all these things, division, confusion. 
The things that are stirring up and greed. These things start looking repulsive to you because you are able to see and view sin the way God views it. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. When you truly repent, you crucify the old man. Now notice, this is something that is based upon your will. When God allows you to see it, you still have to make a choice to turn, right? So repentance still takes an effort on your part. God still does not take away your ability to make a choice. But he would rather you choose to turn toward him. Again, I think that's beautiful. So you crucify the old man. As God continues to draw you closer to him, he allows you to see sin for what it is. You crucify those things because that's something that you will to do because you want to be closer to him. The transformation from sinner to Christian advances with the new birth experience. And the new birth includes both baptism of water and of the spirit. Notice what Jesus says. You got to be born again of and so the new birth experience includes both. It's not a partial thing. Well, if you get this one, then you're all right. This one is obsolete. Either one is fine. If you get baptized in water, you're born again. If you get baptized by the Spirit, you don't need to worry about the water. You know, whichever one you do, it's, it's up to you. That's not how he presented it to Nicodemus, right? John chapter 3, he says, Except the man be born again of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter in. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? If you haven't been born again, according to the scripture, what Jesus said, I'm not the judge, but what did the word say? Except ye be born again. This is why I was talking to a chaplain at, at uh, my job the other, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know what? That's one of the most challenging things for any minister when you are doing a funeral. You know, you feel the need to try to fill in and maybe bring some closure to the family. And if we're not careful, we'll make the mistake of giving them a destination. That's not my job. I can't determine where they end up. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, it's the individual that really determines where they end up. Because you are either on the right side or on the wrong side of God's word. So except you be born again of water and of the spirit, he says, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we read in uh, the book of Matthew last week, talked about Jesus and the example that he set by being baptized by John the Baptist. When he first arrives on the scene after John the Baptist is already telling him, foretelling about the coming of Christ. And he says, hey, I baptize you unto repentance, but there's one that's coming after me that's going to baptize you with fire, right? John says, hey, he sees him. He says, hey, you should be baptizing me. He says, suffer it to be so. These things have to be fulfilled. So John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, right? We read that last week. And remember I told you, he, the Bible says he straightway came up out of the water. Last time I checked, you can't come straightway up out of sprinkles. 
a drop. Amen? Just saying. So, we know that he was baptized. He was immersed, submerged. Okay? And when you look at the word baptized, baptisto, however you derive it, wherever you trace it back to, okay, it means to be immersed. Fully immersed. Right? Now, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, I love it. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, Jesus says. Uh-oh, here we go. Because this is where we validate the tea doctrine. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now you saw those right there. See what Jesus said? Mm-hmm. So that means I'm supposed to be baptized in the name of the Father. In the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost. Now, is that, is that what Jesus said? How many names did he reference? Everybody see that? Everybody with me? Look at that. Singular. Little bit of English, just a little bit. I'm still working on it. Baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father. All right, so that means that that name pertains to who? Hold on. In the name of the... All right, so that name pertains to who? The Father, okay. Comma. That means we're adding on. And of the... Okay, so that name pertains to who? Wait, hold on. It pertains to... We just... Okay. All right, Father and Son, right? We're still talking about how many names, though? One, right? And of the... All right, so that name pertains to who? Why y'all... <laughs> we playing Scrabble, y'all. <laughs> In the name of the Father, right? The name pertains to the Father, the name pertains to the Son, the name pertains to the Holy Ghost, right? But how many names are we... One. Look at that. Now, we always like to use analogies to point out the fact that you can use three different types of titles and relationships, how we relate to folks, and still be one person, right? So I'll keep it simple because we've already gone through that many times before. But obviously, I am a father. I am also a son. And I'm also a husband. I'm a soldier, I'm a minister, what else? I'm an uncle, son-in-law, you name it. There's a lot of titles rolling around there. I didn't even know I had all those titles. But with all those titles, if you were to go into the Mall of America and say, Father, The chances of me responding to you 
understanding that you were trying to get a hold of me is slim to none. Now, I may, I may turn around because I may think somebody's crazy because they're calling Father, or maybe there's somebody in trouble. But I'm not thinking that you're calling for me. If you call son, well, first of all, I know my daddy's voice. So if you ain't my daddy, I know you ain't talking to me. Somebody says, husband, if it ain't my wife. (laughs) But if somebody says, Marcus, Marcus Miller. Yes, that is my whole name. So if you didn't know, now you know. Well, then naturally I'm going to turn around and try to find out who's trying to get a hold of me because you have called my name. This is, I mean, that's really easy, right? Easy concept. Everybody gets it. We know that. So then it shouldn't be hard to relate that to being baptized in that name. Right? Good, because Peter clarified it in Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, repent. See that word in there, right? And do what? Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of... Look, he, he used a singular word, name, and then he told you what the name was of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, right? So before you can be baptized, before you can bury that old joker, you got to die out to him. Crucify him. That's why we go through repentance. It does no good to get baptized if you haven't repented. That's why we want folks to really understand when you say, hey, you know what, God, I'm really sorry. You know, one of the things I, I will not, I won't provoke anybody to repentance because I can't I can tell you about what repentance is but at the end of the day it has to be a hard thing for you and between you and God but once you have truly done that when you get baptized this is the reason why we say immerse in water Romans chapter 6 Paul articulates this so well as he talks about the significance of baptism and why we baptize immersing people in water. It's not because we're trying to drown you. It's not because we're trying to scare you. But there is a spiritual symbolic significance to why we baptize and fully put them underwater. So this is what Paul says. Know ye not... That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. All right. So now you're already seeing the relation here. He's making the relation that when you are baptized, it is a resemblance of you being baptized in the likeness of Christ's death. Right. Baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism. Now, the last time I checked, even because they put him in the tomb Notice what they did. They didn't leave half his body out of the tomb. 
even back then, they put the whole body away. Now today, we put them six feet under, right? Sprinkle a little dirt on them, and that's they buried. You have folks that are not in church, but they understand the concept of burying, right? Cat dies, family cat. Some folks go to the extreme of dressing up tuxedo, do the little funeral in the backyard. But they don't dig up. They're going to put them in the box. They don't dig up in the ground and make sure they are completely buried, right? Anybody ever seen somebody sprinkle dirt and just say, okay, you good to go? I'll tell you what. Let them build a cemetery and that's all they do. Just bring a bunch of caskets and just sprinkle dirt on there and just say, y'all good to go. Everybody buried. I'm pretty sure there'll be a whole lot of unhappy people and maybe some scared people. We want to make sure they ain't getting up again. I love my loved ones, but I don't. Well, if we're that adamant about making sure they don't get up again, on the natural side, spiritual is the same thing. We're burying them. And here's the awesome thing about this. So when you repent, right, God forgives you. Your sins are washed away. That's what that word remission is talking about, the removal of your sins. All, that, all the stuff that was on your record is washed away. And the lovely thing about God is that he forgets it. Not because he has amnesia. Not because he has Alzheimer. But because he chooses to no longer see. Now, when you are baptized, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away your sins. So let's, t- let's kind of tie some of this together as we're going through this. So we talked about being baptized in the name. So what's so important about being baptized? I understand the concept of being baptized in water. Got it. Why can't we say Father, name, uh, Father Son, and Holy Ghost? Well, you can say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost if you want to use the titles. But at the end of the day, there is no significance, there is no impact unless you use the name. You have to invoke the name because when you speak the name, it's the blood of Jesus by his sacrifice that washes away your sin. Amen? So, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that's great. You recognize the name, that there is a name for those titles or the relationship between God and his people. Okay, those roles, but it's the name. And the Bible lets us know in the book of Acts, it says, Neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name given under heaven among men, right? Whereby we must be. That is the name of Jesus. When I speak the name, this is why you say when you speak the name of Jesus, things happen in the atmosphere. Things begin to take place because you're invoking something in the atmosphere. You're invoking the spirit of Christ wherever you are when you start speaking the name of Jesus. That's why it's so important not to take his name in vain. Why are you calling him if you really didn't want him? It's that name and everything that name represents. Salvation, that's the saving name, the name of Jesus. That's the name that God chose. 
and we could get into the little background about what Jesus means and, you know, go back to the Hebrew. I ain't doing all that. You can take some time to study that. There's a lot of information out there, and it's good information, but I ain't got time for all that today. So, do the studies. Make sure you understand, but it is the name of Jesus. Amen? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So Jesus Christ rose, right? Everybody believe that? If you don't believe it, don't raise your hand. Just keep listening. Jesus Christ is alive. And he has all power in his hands. Now, just like he rose up, glorified, he's got all power in his hands, guess what? When you rise, you rise walking in the newness of life. Now, the Bible talks about it's not doing away with the filth of the flesh. The flesh still has its sinful nature. But you have the answer of a clean conscience before God. That is powerful. You know, I can look at you and I can remember all the things that you did before you came into church. And you got folks, I guarantee you, you know somebody that's still out there that knew you when you was out in the world, they'll be quick to tell you, oh, now you want to be saved. Now you want to be different. Now you changed. But I remember when. Can I tell you something? Don't be surprised because there's nobody but the enemy because he is the accuser of the brethren. So that's part of what he does. So when you get folks that say, I'm not telling you to call them devils. I'm just saying. All right. So he's the accuser. But at the end of the day, you rise walking in the newness of life. You have a clear, a clean slate with God. And again, that is so phenomenal that God looks at you and says, I see you where you are now. I don't remember. Now, this is what's awesome to me about it. He doesn't ever forget you. From the moment he created you, he knew who you were. But the moment you're baptized, he forgets the sin. And he still remembers you. Wow. Isn't that mind-blowing? How do you distinguish between all that and just separate all that and you still remember me the whole time, the whole way through. You remember all your efforts of trying to reach out to me, but you don't remember all the sin. Can you imagine talking to somebody and saying, remember when such and such? You was there with me. I remember you, but I don't remember when we was there. That's awesome. Hopefully y'all are getting this now, because I mean, this is, this is an awesome thing. People need to know this. Amen. So if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creature. All things. All the old things that I used to do, what I used to be. 
Devil, it doesn't matter what you bring up. You can try to bring up all the rap sheet and all the stuff from the prehistoric records if you want to. All the archives, it really doesn't matter because now I'm a new creation. You know how many folks will not come to salvation, will not come to that point because they're so busy thinking that God is holding it against them? Yes, there are consequences to sin, but when you embrace his plan of salvation, guess what? All that goes away. Folks are literally out there trying to get their lives together to come to Christ. I just got to fix this in my life. I got you know, to do this stuff, and once I get myself together, then I'll come to the Lord. Well, I guess you really don't need him then, huh? It's beautiful how he can take whatever situation, whatever state. I don't know who this is really for, but I believe that somebody's benefiting from this. But wherever you are, whatever state you are in, God, it, there's no mess that God can't fix. Name it. And I just imagine God standing there saying, I can fix that. Oh, you don't know how many relationships I done been in and broken up. I can fix that. Hey, I done cursed so many times. I tell you, I don't even know what all. I can fix that. I've been abused in my life, misused. And, you know, I've, I've, I've even done drugs. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. I can fix that. You just don't understand. I was, I, you know, I done stole. I, I've done all these different things, you know. And I, I, I mean, I, I wish I could go back. Mm-mm, you don't have to go back. I can fix that. Ah, woo! Thank you, Lord. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. You're no longer enslaved to sin. Amen? For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not what? But, yes, everybody wants to have life. Everybody wants to live. Amen? Well, you got to repent. You got to be baptized if you want to start to live. Folks calling it the life because they got all the money and they got all the valuables and possessions. That's the life. You better stop listening to the world. You only live once. Well, I guess you better get your life right then. It's, it's just amazing how many sayings they have in the world and they ain't thinking about it. You only live once, so live it up. (laughs) I'm trying to go up. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion. Ah, 
For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. First Peter 3 and 21 says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. What I just mentioned earlier, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Listen, so I just want to say this. You baptized, you repented, you baptized. Please understand that the flesh is sinful. The Bible tells us that. The flesh is warring against the spirit constantly. It wants to do its own thing and everything it wants to do is in opposition to what God wants us to do. That's the nature of the flesh. By virtue of the fact that we live in the flesh, we have to overcome the flesh. So what does that mean? That means that when you are pulled or you attempt it, it's because it's appealing to the flesh. But please understand that God does not hold you guilty because you attempt it. He holds you guilty when you give in to the temptation. So the problem is not the temptation for you. It's when you give in. Now this is what the enemy won't allow you to see. That's why he gives us power. By his spirit. Because through that power we have authority to say, no, I'm not giving into that. No, I'm not taking advantage of that. I know this is for the flesh, but I'm willing to please God. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Some people walk away from God because they are so overwhelmed with the fact that, oh man, these temptations that keep coming my way. And they're losing out because they have a misunderstanding. The flesh is wicked. It's going to want to do the things of the world. But the provisions that God has given us enables us to overcome the flesh. Paul says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I find in my life, in my relationship with God, that the more I start doing the things toward God, you know, it's, it becomes a cliche for some people. Oh, well, you know, keep reading the Bible, you know, keep praying. But it's not a cliche. It's not just a fancy statement to throw out there as we preach and just to kind of, you know, make it sound good and fill some space. No, it means something because that's part of walking in the spirit. And we'll talk about that as we go through the series. But, you know, you have to stay in the spirit. You got to stay in the spirit because that's the only way that you're going to refrain from fulfilling the lust of the flesh. But look at what he says. So baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not even going to get into the Holy Ghost. We're going to talk about that next week. Amen. But just talking about repentance, these are things that folks really need to know. Amen. You know, these are things that we should be sharing. Sometimes people get so caught up and I refrain from it. I I learned to do this. I'm not discussing doctrine with you. If I don't even know where you are spiritually. And I get some folks, you know, that come, they'll come to me and say, hey, you know, 
oh man, I'm a Christian and I've been born again. And, you know, and, and part of me is excited. But I also have to use wisdom and say, okay, so let's see where they really are. And I don't ask questions to be vindictive, but to be inquisitive so I can see where are you really so we know where to go from here. We never want to take away from anyone's experience where they are in their relationship with God. However little it may be, it's there. Everything that God has provided for us has always been developmental. The only thing he takes away from us is the things that's damaging us. So in our efforts to witness, we're always trying to add on, improve. So if someone has the wrong understanding of God, all we're doing is just helping them improve their understanding. We're not trying to take away. Y'all with me? This is a better approach when we talk about being a Christian witness. Because all too many times, we, if we're not careful, we have the right desire, we have the right motives, but we'll kill a soul before we even gain them. And that's not God's intent. Anyway, we're going to come back next week, and we're going to continue our series talking about the power of Christian witnessing. I love y'all. God loves you best. Let's take a break and come back for a dynamic service in Jesus' name.